These are just wonderful stories. These are unexpected stories. These are not the kind of stories that you hear every day. These are the stories of people not particularly looking for faith, not looking for God. In fact, sometimes not even believing that there is anything to be found by such a search. And yet people that have found God. I don't know where you are this evening. I don't know where you are on your sort of faith journey. There'll be some here and you are very much on the edge of church. You, you feel like you're a little bit on the edge about to just look in from the outside, wanting to see whether you can go in. You're pressing your nose to the glass. Others of you will be perhaps here slightly under duress. Maybe you're doing it as a favor to a loved one or someone that's close to you. You don't really like this kind of thing. You're deeply suspicious of it. I don't know where you're at, but I do know that all of us have questions. And I do know that contrary to a lot of people's common perception, the Christian faith is a faith where you get to ask questions. It's not somewhere that we dogmatically force something down your gullet, but it's somewhere where you are invited to journey. You're invited to have questions. You're invited to explore and wrestle with doubt and with belief. One of the most famous words in the Bible was a man that spoke to Jesus and he said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. You might be a little bit like that. You might have a little bit of belief. You might have a lot of unbelief. Or you may be here as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, watching online, and you know this stuff, but actually you've never been baptized. And part of you kind of wonders, well, why haven't I ever done that? These guys have been Christians for barely five minutes. They're already getting baptized. What's my excuse? Sometimes we build baptism up as this great big thing uh, instead of just the normal, natural starting point of the Christian journey. We're going to baptize Jake and Lydia uh, in just a few moments. And I am so excited for this. I am so excited. I mean, we have not baptized people in this building since the beginning of the pandemic, as Lex said at the beginning. And uh, we're kind of trying to figure out and remember what we used to do. We used to do this all the time. Uh, We used to do it multiple times in an evening. And we're, we're just kind of getting ourselves back used to this whole thing. But the fact of the matter is that everyone that we baptize this evening has actually joined the church during the pandemic, during the lockdown. Instead of the church being obliterated when we weren't able to meet, we weren't able to gather in person, actually the church has grown because the message of Jesus is something that overcomes every single obstacle and every single barrier and every single hindrance against it because it is so powerfully good news. We're going to look at the first instance of baptism when an individual was baptized by one of the early believers um, recorded in the pages of scripture. Because again, you might be here and you think, baptism? Old person, grown up, full adult, immersed in water in their clothes? Uh, What's going on? It's for babies and fonts. Actually, the practice of the early church from the very beginning over the last 2,000 years was that baptism was an outward sign of an inward reality. It's not always easy to put your faith into words. It's not always easy to express what's on the inside of you. But a symbolic act, a little bit like a marriage where you take a ring and you make a vow, is a way of signaling to the world, this is my intention. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to die and be buried in an old life and I want my new life to come out brand new, shining with Jesus come what may. 
So this story, the, the background to it, is that the early believers, against all odds and expectation, when Jesus Christ is crucified, three days later, they're out, proclaiming that they've seen him alive. And more and more people are saying this thing. Now, it should have been easy to snuff out the Christian faith right at its inception. And that's exactly what the authorities did at the time. They had all the power, they had all the clout. And so these people were hounded, they were persecuted, they were outlawed, they were driven from their homes, they were imprisoned, they were murdered. And yet wherever they went, fleeing persecution, fleeing religious oppression, they just told the story. It's true, God is real. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. God has become a man. And this news started to spread around the whole known world, even to places where they wouldn't traditionally go, like Samaria, where their traditional enemies, the Jewish people, were antagonistic to Samaritans. And yet Jesus changes everything. And so they start to tell the message of Jesus. This one individual, a preacher called Philip, he goes and he's involved in this turning to Christ in Samaria. And then one day, God speaks to him and says, I want you to leave where you are right now and I want you to go onto the desert road. Head down south, wait further instructions. This is how the story continues. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. There's an air of disappointment, anticlimax in this story. This man is known as the treasurer of the Ethiopians. Actually, that's modern day Sudan, give or take. And he's undertaken a 1,000 mile trip, an arduous journey in those days to come from where he is in North Africa, right across into the Near East to Jerusalem. And this is someone that has in them a hunger for something transcendent, something real, something that drives him beyond his comfort zone. There's no way that a man from Ethiopia should be anywhere near the Jerusalem temple. And yet there's something in him that wants to find out a faith and a religion that isn't just idols and uh, superstition, but the real God. And yet you see him going home. He's reading a scroll. He's a rich man. He's able to buy a scroll. To buy a scroll in those days, you needed a lot of money, a lot of resources. But he has that, and he's reading. And you get this sense that the thing that he found in Jerusalem was not particularly life-giving. He found possibly religion, and no one wants religion. He found ritual. He found legalism. He found dry, dusty, organized religion, and it left him cold. Now he's going back home and he's reading from the chariot. And Philip says, do you understand what it is that you are reading? And here's the great thing. The man asks a series of questions. 
And he's like the archetype of the kind of person that we should aspire to be. The kind of person that's asking questions all the time. If you ask questions, it's a good thing. If you're skeptical, it's a good thing. If you doubt, it's a good thing. If you have issues, it's a good thing. You're supposed to kick the tires and lift up the bonnet and look inside and find out and figure out and ask questions. Because it's as we ask questions that we're able to go on a little bit of a journey. And here's the first question that he asks. He says, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? In other words, the first question is, how? It's a question that is the first question that we ask when we begin to think about the world and we begin to think about life. How does this all work? How does this hold together? How did the universe come into being? How do we have free will? How do we have Consciousness, how are we self-aware? How are we able to have these higher emotions and to be self-sacrificial? How do we have this experience where there's a kind of a common morality that we all agree upon, but we don't know why? How is it that we feel that there's something more to life than IKEA and iPhones, and yet we don't know what that that comes from? How, how do we move forward? How do we find meaning? How do we find purpose? How do we find a way forward in life? How can we understand what is the right thing to believe? How do we work out which is true and which is false, which is dogma and which is uh, just made up? How do we know what's going on? He says, how am I supposed to understand? I'm trying to read this stuff. I'm sincerely trying to follow. He's like a man in a hotel room flipping open a Gideon Bible, reading Genesis and not knowing how on earth to proceed. What is this? What's going on? How am I supposed to understand all of this? But it goes on and it says this. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I love this because what you've got is you've got a man who is sincerely asking questions. A man that is a long way from being a believer. In fact, technically, he's disallowed from being a believer. He's got two strikes against him. Either one would be enough to rule him out forever and ever. One, he's not a Jew. He's an Ethiopian. And two, he's a eunuch. Not to put too fine a point on it. Uh, this is a man who is forever barred and held away from God's people. He's someone that is literally told, you do not belong here. This is not for you. There's no way that you can have this. And yet this is a man that says to Philip, hey, come up. Let's journey together. Sit beside me because I've got questions and I want to hear what you have to say and I want you to hear what I have to say. And that's just what the Christian journey is all about. <laughs> that's what Lydia and uh, Jake were talking about when they mentioned Alpha. It's just a journey. It's just a journey with other people that have got questions and you've got questions and you ask those questions. But somehow in the questions, something very special, something wonderful, miraculous happens. Because this man who was looking for something, looking for God, somehow finds that God was already looking for him. He'd come all this way, he'd been to the temple, he'd returned empty-handed, he just had the dry scroll which he couldn't understand. But God sees him, and God sent Philip to him, 
and said, look, I want you to engage with this guy and I want you to stick with him and I want you to sit with him and I want you to discuss and talk and question together to go on a spiritual journey. Look, you don't know me, most of you, and I don't know you, but I do know that God knows you. And I do know that God always looks for ways to connect with people that are sincerely looking for him. That's why with Lydia, what an amazing story. Here's someone that says, I don't believe in God. What did you call yourself? An aggressive, aggressive atheist. She said it aggressively. She's really up for it. You're supposed to be ashamed of that. No, no. That's a joke. But it's, it's true. That's how you were. And yet, something inside that says, I have this disbelief in God, but I have this need on the inside. And God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. Or Jake, who never gave God more than a second thought, and then sees it in the life of this friend, Olivia. And by the way, spoiler alert, (laughs) the friend became a fiancé. Round of applause. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, we tell you as Christians, share your faith. (laughs) You'll get at least a fiancé out of it. It's guaranteed or your money back. But he says, I haven't really thought about God, but I see something in this person. The Bible says that God's always got a way of coming through and getting through to us. If you give him half a chance, it's not like he's folding his arms in heaven, aloof, unconcerned, take it or leave it. It's like a loving father that's looking, 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 looking. Not going to force you, not going to cajole you, but going to just do whatever he can to gently reach out to you in a way that you can understand. How can I understand? Well, here's someone that can help you walk through stuff, who can hear where you're coming from and share their experiences. And then it goes on. This is the passage of scripture that he was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Here's another question. The eunuch asked, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Here's the second question. It's who. Because this is a passage about God coming and solving the very heart of the human problem. It's God coming in and saving us. There's a part of us, if we're honest, that knows that no matter how good we are, no matter how well-intentioned we are, we always end up coming back back to the limits of our own fallenness, our own weakness, our own frailty. We come to the limits of our ability to do something to help ourselves and to save ourselves. And there's a part of us that is, if it's honest, says, I need someone to get me out of the mess that I find myself in. I need someone to come and deliver me from where I find myself. I need someone to come and to to make a way forward. I need a connection. I feel that there's more to life, but I don't know who's going to get me there. And the confusing thing 
for this Ethiopian as he reads this passage is that he sees someone that comes as a savior to bring answers, to bring hope. And yet he doesn't come with might and power and thunderbolts from the sky. He comes with humiliation. He comes with pain. He comes in sorrow. He comes like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb before the shearers. He comes absolutely abject. And you, you, you can't compute. You're thinking, what's going on? This doesn't sound like the God of the universe. This sounds like the very saddest person full of grief. Who is this? That question, who is the one that's going to save me? Who is the one that I'm going to connect with? Who is God? Who is Jesus? That's the most important question that anyone can ask. And any question that can be answered And then it says this, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The answer to the who is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I don't know what you think of me. Again, you you can have all kinds of thoughts about what you see and what you experience. Uh, You can critique our donuts if you like, but we want you to come away with this one solitary thing. We are here gathered in the name of Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. In fact, we believe that Jesus is the one that the whole world is looking for. I've met many people who are skeptical and cynical about organized religion, about Christianity, or the state of the church, or the evils and ills of religion, but I've not met very many people who have much of a difficult, harsh word to say about Jesus. Because all of us look at Jesus and we see this is someone that deserves respect. This is someone that commands attention. This is someone who's aspirational, who has had such an impact on the world. The fact that we live in 2021 is 2021 years after the celebration of his life, who split history in two before him and after him. Jesus, who's compassionate and gracious and and full of these amazing sayings and and wisdom and and such admirable, admirable life. And Philip says, it's good news. He's not just a man. It's actually God come to show us a human life lived perfectly. It's God come to give himself on a cross. Jesus, he was that sheep. He was that lamb led to uh, destruction and sacrifice. But he did it for you and he did it for me. And so Philip starts to unpack the good news about Jesus. He rewinds in that passage. The passage is Isaiah chapter 53. This verse 3, it says this. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He says, the good news about Jesus is he knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He's taken it on. He's not aloof. He's not disconnected. He feels and identifies and carries your pain. Do you know, I've heard Lydia's story a few times because I've seen the video. I I, I couldn't resist watching it more than once. Um, And it is a story that moves me because this is a story of someone that was experiencing difficulty, sadness, pain. And there's a part of this that says, does anyone care? Is anyone with me? Who can know the pain of the human heart? We each carry our own personal suffering. 
And yet the good news about Jesus is that he carries our pain. He carries our suffering. He knows it. He experiences it. And he walks with us in it. But then it goes on. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. You know, the Bible doesn't pull any punches, right? It doesn't just say, yeah, you've got pain, the world's a hard place, you suffer and then you die. It doesn't just say that. It says, actually, you're part of the problem. You want to talk about the, the, the heart of the human problem? Well, it's the problem of the human heart. It's that venality. It's that selfishness. It's that, that brokenness inside every single one of us. Even on our good days, we don't live up to the kinds of people that we really, truly want to be. We let down those that we love. We disappoint ourselves. We fail to live up to our lofty ideals. And the Bible says, yeah, transgressions, yeah, iniquities. You want to call it sin. You want to call it brokenness. You want to call it messing up. Call it what you will. But it breaks apart families. It ruins relationships. It's destroying the planet. It is eating us up on the inside. It is producing a world of injustice, a world of oppression, a world of violence and wrong, hatred and strife. And yet the good news about Jesus is that he takes all of these things on himself. Instead of saying, you wicked people, take the punishment. He says, you loved children, let me take the punishment in your place. And the prophet says, 700 years speaking into the future, he was pierced, a spear to the side, for our transgressions. By his wounds, we're healed. There's no one more lovely than Jesus. There's no message more beautiful than the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we wear crosses. We celebrate the fact that he died for us. The innocent for the guilty. A God who identifies so closely, so intimately with his own creation that he puts himself in the path of the consequences of their sin. And then it goes on. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a profound message. When Jake and Lydia go down into those waters, that little hot tub of baptism. Not very hot, actually, but you'll be fine. <laughs> but when they go down under those waters, it's a kind of burial. And that's what it's symbolizing. You know, if you wanted to do it really kosher, we would dig a hole six feet into the ground, put them in a coffin, nail it shut, lower them down, throw in some dust, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and then hopefully bring them back up again. But, uh, you know, that would be, that's just a little bit extreme. I mean, it's Halloween, but uh, there's a limit, you know. We're, we're not that crazy. So what we do is we symbolize it. We put them underwater, and that is, it's an old life being buried. And then we bring them back up, and it's a new life lived for Jesus. My allegiance has changed. I used to not give him a second thought. Now he's everything. 
I used to despise him and ridicule those who follow him. Now he is the one that I am following and I am becoming like him and I am powered up by his spirit and I am enjoying the life and I have a relationship with God and things that I didn't think possible are now possible. And in the words of Jake, I still can't believe how surreal it all is and yet it is a message that transforms lives. Changed my life. Maybe my story isn't as good as these guys, but I still got my story. My story is I became a Christian when I was a kid and it works through every level of life. I've seen it work for teenage life. I've seen it work for young, single life, young, free and desperate. I've seen it work uh, in young marriage with kids, now with grown-up children, empty nest. It works every step of the way. It's the message of Jesus It's the message that he's taken our iniquities and he's given us instead his new life. So how how am I supposed to understand? How am I supposed to make head nor tail of this? Maybe there is no answer. Maybe there is. How am I supposed to get it? And then who? Who is Jesus? Who is God? Who is the one that's going to save me? Who's going to make a difference? And then the third final question, the best question in this case is this. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Final question is what? What's stopping me? What's stopping me? I had this conversation with someone. uh, They're going to get baptized at the next one that we do in a month's time. And I said, what's stopping you from being baptized? I said, if you can think of something that's stopping you, then we won't baptize you. But otherwise, if Jesus is real and he's changed your life, then what's stopping you? And he came back and said, yeah, fine, that's true. And actually, some of you, if that's the same question that you answer, then come and find us or talk to one of the team, talk to Sam and say, hey, yes, things have been stopping me from being baptized, but it's about time that I did it and I need to keep up with these, these guys. But for every single one of us, if you're far away from God, here's the question. What's stopping you? What's in your way? And I'm no doubt that the issues that you have are genuine. And if I had your experience, I'd probably have those same issues too. You know, a lot of people, they look and they see hypocrisy. They see uh, stuff that is unattractive. And, and they can see stuff in Christians or in the church that turn them off. What's stopping you? Maybe it's people like me. Probably is. I can see by that round of uh, little ripple of applause and laughter, I struck a nerve. Okay, I'm backing off from that one. (laughs) But you might have all kinds of things that stop you. And yet Jesus says, I love you. I've sent a man to jump on your chariot. I am looking for you more than you are looking for me, more than you can possibly know. And for these guys, they've got to a point where they've said, what's stopping me from being baptized? Absolutely nothing. And it's, I love the way that, that Philip doesn't jump up and say, well, hang on a minute, you can't be baptized. I barely know you. You've only been talking for a couple of hours in your chariot. You've got to go through uh, a couple of years of going to church and becoming a proper Christian and, and uh, all that stuff. He says, nothing. Being an Ethiopian kept you away from religion. Being a eunuch kept you away from the temple. But nothing can keep you away from Jesus. So you are up for it. You're ready We'll baptize you right here, right now. No must, no fuss. It's just, it's not a big deal. It's just a start. It's a learner place for a driver that's beginning their journey to figure out how the car works. It's the beginning of your journey. 
And that's what we're going to do with these guys. We're going to take them, we're going to put them under. Little uh, trigger warning, we've got a streamer cannon, so we're going to hit that when they come out of the water. So if you have a nervous disposition, you've been warned, okay? Uh, but that's just, that's just the best that we can do. I, I actually wanted to get pyrotechnics. They said, Philip, chill. Um, <laughs> but that's what we will do. We're going to ask some questions. And that confession of faith is the basis on which we baptize them. The person has said, actually, my how and my who have been answered so much that my what is now nothing, and I am willing to be baptized. But before we take them in there, I just think it's really appropriate that each one of us, no matter where you're at in your faith, whether you're a Christian for years or whether this is all just something that you're politely putting up with, I think it's appropriate that we take a little moment, and I'm going to give us the opportunity to have a little spiritual moment, a prayer. I'm going to give you a kind of little prayer that you can own for yourself to the degree that you want to. But it's a prayer that's basically a kind of an opening of the door prayer. It's a prayer that says, God, if you're there, which I'm not convinced that you are, and you're probably not, but if you are, I'm opening my heart to you. If you do love me, then here's me giving you the chance to get my attention. You may have... Yeah, you may have the beginning of something. And it, it may be that you think, actually, I'd, I'd love to do an Alpha course, or I'd love to come back, or I'd love to have some conversation uh, in a, just a bit more of a quiet, less pressured environment. But it's just, it's that opening of the heart that says, hmm. And again, I love what Lydia said. I wanted to be proved right, or I was open to being proved wrong. <laughs> I, I never heard anyone talk like that before, but I really love it. And that opening of the door is just a great thing to do, where you say, I don't think it's true, I want to be proved right, but just in case, here I am. And that is a great place to be, and God can do amazing things with that. So let's just pray. If, invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes. And I'll pray a little prayer of invitation. You can just mull this over as I speak the words, and then just, yeah, make it your own. Internalize it. Say a little amen at the end. But make this a prayer from you to God, a prayer of invitation. Here's the prayer. Dear God, you know my life. You know what I believe. You know what I don't believe. You know what I'm confident in. You know my doubt. If you really are there, if you really do love me, if you died for me, Jesus, if you rose again and are here right now, then I'm open to finding out more. If you're real, show yourself to me. Hear my heart. Help me with my question, my doubt, my cynicism. I'm willing to open myself to you. And I offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.